Thank you for standing and worshiping. You can be seated. I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord this morning. And uh, I want to take you to Revelation 22 and 1. If you're not sure where that is, you've got to go all the way to the end of your Bible. Very last chapter. And we're going to review for just a minute here before we uh, continue on where we left off last time we looked at this. If you have that, just say amen so I know you're awake and alive. All right. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And that is our very first point that I'm pulling out of this passage in a lesson that I'm calling seven lessons from the final message. You know, when Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, that was his final message while he was uh, standing on this earth. And whenever someone gives a final message, there's a lot of important things they put in there. It was important when Jesus said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. It was especially important when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and that name is Jesus. That's right. All of those were important things, and he expounded on that. And here in the book of Revelations, we have John the Revelator receiving a vision from God. In that vision, Jesus speaks uh, directly to the church, and Jesus says many important things. And the first lesson from that final message from Jesus and the angel to the Revelator is that heaven is the final reward. And we just sang about that beautifully. Isn't it true? Heaven is our final reward for those that serve the Lord. And it's easy to lose sight of that, and it's easy to not think of that as often as we should, uh, but the hope of glory is the reason we sing. It's the reason why we can have joy in the midst of sorrow. It's the reason we can smile in the face of a bad doctor report because we know this world is not our home. And we're not serving the Lord so that we can live forever on earth. We're serving the Lord because we know that one day we're going to rest with him forever in eternity. That is the hope of the church. That is, our, that is our battle cry, that we are going to be with the Lord in heaven. So I want to keep going, take you to the next slide. Uh, this is uh, our title slide, seven lessons from the final message. Uh, we went through an introduction You'll see it there on the screen. We introduced the book of Revelation. Uh, we talked about uh, the authorship being John. Everyone said John. Uh, over 90% of the book of Revelations is prophetic. It's prophecy. In other words, it's 
It's future tense. It's things that are going to happen. Uh, in 2017, many of the things described in the book of Revelation have happened. Amen? How many know that Israel exists today? That's a prophecy fulfilled. It didn't exist for many, many years, but it's there right now, and it's surrounded by people who hate their ever-loving guts. Yes, it is, and that's prophecy, by the way. Uh, just the fact that we're moving uh, towards a highly globalized society. In other words, at the time of, of the Roman rule, when Jesus walked the face of the earth and when John received the prophecy, the idea of there being a one-world government uh, was, well, they hadn't even discovered the entire world yet. They didn't even know uh, where everything was. All the continents weren't even discovered. They didn't have any comprehension. But today, we're living in a society that's moving rapidly towards a one-world authority. And uh, it could happen very quickly. It would only take one worldwide disaster. It would only take one, uh, one epidemic, you know, for example, in Venezuela. Anybody been hearing about Venezuela in the news lately? Uh, they're having to dig through garbage because they don't have food. They don't have money. Uh, there's people, they're literally, and the kids are gone, so I'm just going to be uh, a little more colorful than I usually would be. They're having to, to hunt dogs in the streets because uh, they just don't have what it takes to survive. It's a terrible thing. Now, listen, it wouldn't take a whole lot for something like that to happen on a worldwide scale. If that was happening in America, America would embrace someone who stepped up and said, I have the answer to get rid of all this hunger, to get rid of all this fighting, to get rid of all this corruption, and the world would fall in line behind someone like that. And all of the pieces are in place for the world to be able to set up a, a one government system. All of those are prophetic things that, are, uh, that were talked about in the book of Revelation. I'll take you to the next slide. We talked about uh, the history uh, behind uh, this revelation, and uh, we talked about why John wrote the book. There was apostasy coming into the church, and John was trying to fight against uh, all of that. Take you to the next slide, and this is where we left off, and we talked about the second lesson from the final message is to remain worshipful. Everyone said worshipful. Uh, th these words in the final chapter of the book of Revelation are directed to the church. Everyone said, that's me. It's directed to us today, and uh, God knew exactly where we'd be in the final moments. He directed these words for the church to hold dear until the rapture, and so uh, there's an emphasis here. We see John, he directed his worship in the wrong direction towards the angel, and the angel rebuked him and said, no, you don't worship me, you worship God alone, and uh, there's a danger in the church that we could start worshiping things that aren't God. We need to worship God. There's none beside him, none before him. He alone deserves all of our praise. And by the way, I think we should just go ahead and enter into his courts with praise. I think every time we step into the house of God, we ought to just come in worshiping. We ought to just come in excited, expecting God to do something. Uh, there's a couple churches that I've preached in over the years, and uh, I'm not saying that we need to do it here, um, but I did really like it. They took that particular scripture very, very literally. And whenever they would step into the sanctuary, they would immediately start clapping their hands and worshiping the Lord. 
I, I don't necessarily think that's exactly what the Bible is instructing us to do, but I really did like it. You know why? Because every time someone stepped in the door of that church, you could feel the atmosphere change as people lifted up worship to the Lord. Why don't we go ahead and clap our hands to the Lord this morning? Isn't it amazing how the atmosphere changes? Isn't it amazing how something shifts in the supernatural when we just when we just press a little bit in praise, press a little bit in worship? It's a powerful thing because God inhabits the praises of his people. And if his people won't praise him, nobody's going to praise him. If his people won't praise him, he'll have rocks and inanimate objects and whatever he needs to do. Something will praise the Lord. The heavens will declare the glory of God. But we might as well go ahead and fall in line and give him the praise he's worthy of every opportunity we get. So the direction of our worship matters. And then I'll take you to the next slide. And this is uh, now we're in new territory. This is number three. Uh, and we're talking about the final message and I'd like to read Revelation 22 and 13. Could we read that? This is a very familiar scripture. It's on the screen. Could we read it together out loud? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Amen. I'll read the next scripture. Now, I want you to notice this is Jesus speaking directly to the church. Verse 16, I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you, talking to John, these things in the churches. Everyone said the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. This, this third lesson from the final message is that we should always keep the emphasis on Jesus. Somebody, somebody ought to just lift up your hand and say, we're keeping the emphasis on Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we're here today. Without the death, without the burial, and without the resurrection, we would have no reason to be gathered together today. And he did more than just die. He rose again on the third day. That's where the power is. That's where the deliverance comes from. The fact that he had victory over death, hell, and the grave. He took the keys right out of the kingdom of hell. He took the keys to death, and he resurrected on that third day. And it's the reason why... We can gather together in faith and in power, and everything that we do should glorify Jesus. Uh, I, I feel like the Lord has really been dealing with me in our churches and in my own life, and I ask the Lord to help me all the time. Uh, I, I don't want to be the, the center of any kind of attention. Uh, I want the Lord to use me, but I don't want him to use me so that I can receive any kind of attention or get my ego stroked or anything like that. The minute a church or a preacher or a saint falls into the trap of wanting to be used by God so that they can have some kind of attention, they lose their anointing and they lose the purpose of the church. The reason that we are gathered here today is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And when he's lifted up, when he is truly lifted up, he will draw people to himself. Amen. I wish someone lift up your hands right now and just magnify the name of Jesus. I know it's early. I know it's Sunday school. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. We magnify you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the bright 
and morning star. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one who delivers us. He's the one who heals us. He's the one who sets us free. It's by his stripes that we're healed. Anybody thankful if you've ever been healed in the house today? It's by his blood. It's by his shed blood that we have salvation today. It's because of his precious blood that flowed from Calvary's hill that we can stand here today forgiven of our sins and in a right relationship with God. Everything is because of Jesus. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He was the mighty God in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead. He was the mighty counselor. Yes, he was. Hey, man, he is the everlasting father. Everything you need, you can find in Jesus. You can't get it from me. You can't get it from the person sitting beside you. But everything you need, you can find in Jesus Christ today. Anybody believe that? Praise God. Everything, healing, salvation, deliverance, whatever it is you need. If you need a touch in your mind, if you need a touch in your heart, you can find it in Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And the church needs to keep the emphasis on Jesus. Now, I'm going to get a little controversial here. I think that uh, as I look out, most of us are our family here, church family. And so I'm probably not going to be too controversial necessarily. Um, you know, it's the last gasp of summer. How many know we're in that final gasp? About, about 50% of the church is getting that final little vacation in and then uh, got camp meeting going on in Arkansas, and that's good. I understand that. But let me say this, and I don't say it to be mean-spirited or hurtful. I have respect for every Christian. I have respect for all of my Christian friends who don't agree with me. But can I tell you, there is a reason that the doctrine concerning Jesus was perverted by the Emperor Constantine and the Nicene Council when they instituted the false doctrine of a triune Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost being three separate persons of the Godhead. There's a reason, and by the way, and I'm not calling everyone who does not believe in the oneness satanic, but I am telling you, that the doctrine of the Trinity is a false doctrine that is satanic in origin. Yes, it is. Now, I'm just going to be clear again because someone's going to get online. They're going to send me a mean, mean little email, and I'm going to have to write back and say, you need to listen a little closer because I did not call you satanic, but I am calling the doctrine satanic. There are many people who just believed a false doctrine. They believed a lie, and they believe it sincerely. That doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It does mean that they need to be taught and receive the revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. They need to go back and read that he was the fullness of the Godhead. God manifest in the flesh. Amen. And, uh, and anyone can see it. If you read the Bible without the lens of church history, things that happened hundreds of years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, really, uh, for those of you who don't realize this, many of you do, but it was a Roman emperor uh, who was converted to Christianity. Most of his empire was pagan, meaning they worshiped many gods, many, many gods. And so when he got the council together, he was wanting to make Christianity a theocracy. What that means is he wanted to make Christianity the state religion. And, and so to make it more palatable, he knew that was going to be controversial. He knew that was going to be a hard thing to do. He knew there was going to be a lot of people who struggled with that. And so they got together and they said, listen, if we take 
the titles of God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and we separate those and we kind of view them, we'll kind of play with the language a little bit. This is why you have to be very careful when you play language games. Because it can turn in to something very dangerous. He said, we'll just kind of tweak the language a little bit and, and we'll view that like three gods. So we can go to these pagans who are going to have a hard time going from hundreds of gods to one God. And we'll say, no, no, don't worry about it. There's three gods, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now, they're all kind of rolled up into one. And even in the early days, it, it wasn't until hundreds of years after that that it morphed into three completely separate, distinct gods where you have people. I've talked to many Trinitarians who wonder, should I pray to the Father first? Should I pray to the Holy Ghost first? Or should I pray to the Son first? Well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to do all things in the name of Jesus because he is the Father, he is the Son, and he is the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and take a lot of that confusion uh, out of your spirit. But all of that was on purpose because Satan knew that if he could pervert the name of Jesus, and here's the biggest problem that comes when you start playing with the name of Jesus. It changed the way people baptized. Everyone in the New Testament was baptized, buried in the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sin. There was not a single person in the Bible who was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It wasn't until hundreds of years later that they started baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now you're playing with people's salvation because there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There, there's salvation in the name of Jesus. And uh, I know for some of you this is just review. You know this, but uh, if I sign a check and, uh, and, and if I were to sign it... Um, father and I'm a father they would reject it at the bank if I were to sign it son they would reject it at the bank no I have to sign it with my name my name is Ryan I may be a whole lot of things there's a lot of things that I am I'm a lot of things to a lot of people you know uh, God is our provider amen God's a lot of things to us yes he is praise the Lord how many can testify that he's been a lot of things to you? He's been a lot of things, but his name is Jesus. And so when you're, when you're taking on his name, that's what Paul said we do, by the way. We take on his name. When you're taking on his name, you need to go down in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And so here we have uh, Jesus speaking directly to the church, saying that he is the Alpha and the Omega. You know what Jesus was saying here in this last prophecy? He's saying, I am the same God of the Old Testament. I haven't changed. I'm the God of yesterday. I'm the God of today. And I'm the God of tomorrow. And you need to keep the emphasis in the church on me, on my name. I, Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel. Praise the Lord. Uh, all right, I'll take you to the next slide. And we're on number four here of our seven lessons from the final message of Revelation 22. We'll start with verse 11. Let's read. He that is an unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Can you say that with me? Verse 12, my reward is with me. 
to give every man according as his work shall be. Somebody ought to let that sink in a little bit because that goes against a lot of uh, false teaching these days that uh, there is some work that we have to do to be saved. There's some things that we have to do if we want to be ready for the rapture. He said it just right before that. He said, he that's holy, let him be holy still. How many still believe we need to be holy all the way to the rapture? We need to be righteous all the way to the rapture. And, and here he's making that emphasis that the church needs to remain holy and righteous until the coming of the Lord. Now, what he's talking about, he's, he's not saying I want filthy people. That word filthy, by the way, uh, comes from the Greek word that's talking about sinful. So the, the idea there is he that is sinful, let him remain sinful still. Uh, Jesus wasn't saying that I want people to remain in sin. He's talking specifically in the context of the rapture. How many know the rapture is going to come in a moment in the twinkling of an eye? Pastors preach very thoroughly on that. I can't add anything to what pastors said, but can I just say the twinkling of an eye is very fast. You can hardly see it happen. When, when someone's eye twinkles, <laughs> boom, it's just it's coming, it's gone. That light reflects off that eye, boom, and it's gone. That's how the rapture is going to be. In another place, he said there's going to be two men in the field. They're going to be walking, and, and all of a sudden, one man's going to look over, and the other man's going to be gone. Two people working side by side, and look over, one of them, and then one of them's gone, and then one will be left behind. That's exactly how the rapture is going to be. There's, in other words, when Jesus said, he that's filthy, let him be filthy, still what he means is when the rapture happens, it's going to happen so quickly. There isn't going to be time to repent. There's not going to be time to find a prayer room that you should have found a long time ago. There isn't going to be any time for you to run to an altar and say, preacher, I just got to get right. You know, I've got about 10 minutes before Jesus comes. There, there's not going to be pamphlets. There's not going to be any. He's not going to send pamphlets down from the sky that says you got 24 hours to get right. No, no, no. He doesn't want us to just get right. So, you know, kind of do our fate get right so that we can just sort of squeak into the rapture. No, he wants us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. And so that what Jesus was teaching the church is that it's very, very important that you actually love me, that you actually serve me all the way to the rapture. You need to be ready all the time. Don't play games with Jesus because you have no idea. God, God purposely didn't tell us when the rapture was going to take place. That wasn't an accident. He, he didn't just leave it out of the Bible as an oversight. No, he purposely didn't tell us because he wanted the church to be ready all the time. He wanted the church to be working all the way till the sound of the trumpet. And so it's important that we are ready all the time because when the rapture takes place, there isn't going to be time to get anything right. Verse 14, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Everyone said heaven. It's talking about heaven. 15, for without are dogs and sorcerers and warmongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Everyone said a lie. You know, I've, I've been feeling a little, little prick in my spirit lately. We, preachers, I'm a preacher. I do it. I know preachers. I love preaching. I listen to a lot of preaching. I do a lot of preaching. And one of the things that preachers do a lot, I do it a lot, is when we talk about the world being evil, we always jump 
to the most shocking aspect of sin. Uh, murderers aren't going to make it to heaven. Well, we all agree on that, don't we? we? We pretty much all agree. If you're a murderer, you're probably, you're probably going to miss heaven unless you repent and get right. But did you know that Scripture is incredibly strong when it comes to the issue of lying? Ooh. <laughs> we just got, wow, it just, wow, it just, it just, the air went out of the room. I could quote some scriptures that would really get us scared. I don't know if y'all can take it this morning, though. Some of y'all might pass out or something. But scripture is very clear about liars. You know, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. That's, am I in the Bible? That's Bible. Now, we have no problem when people start talking about uh, murderers and sorcerers. We all kind of get on that bandwagon pretty easy. But you start talking about lying, and you know why it gets quiet? Because a lot of Christians lie. Yes, they do. Got a lot of lying Christians out there. And can I just tell you, you cannot lie and make it into the kingdom of heaven. Scripture is incredibly clear. You can't be a liar and make it into the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to be mindful of that. We need, you know why? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. Lies hurt people. Lies always have unintended consequences. Well, I'm lying because I wanted to spare their feelings. Whenever I talk like this, I have a friend that I grew up with. Uh, and uh, he listens to, and, and hey, Brad, I'll, I'll get your email later. He listens to our podcast, and he always will send me a message, and if I say something, anything like this, he'll always send me some kind of funny little message, and he'll say, if my wife asks me, does she look fat, and she does look fat, what should I say? There's always some kind of mean, you know, if people want to lie, Brad, if you want to lie, you're going to lie no matter what anybody says, okay? Now, listen, we all understand that you can be kind to people. You know, some people think that honesty means that you just got to be a jerk to everyone. You don't have to. You can be honest without being a jerk. Did you know that? And by the way, you need to tell your wife she's beautiful all the time no matter what. That's the right answer. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory. Hallelujah. I'm saving marriages right now. We're putting marriages back together in Jesus' name. You know, and so there's always some kind of some kind of little way that people will, will get around that. But but lying is a very, very dangerous thing because it has unintended consequences. Whenever a small line, we teach our kids this, but as adults, we kind of forget it. You know, as adults, we we know the right thing to say to children. And we want children to do it, but oftentimes we don't even go by the lessons that we teach our kids. Isn't that amazing how we do that? And we, we instinctively tell kids, you know, if you tell a little lie, it's going to grow into a bigger lie. And then you're going to have to tell another lie, and that lie is going to grow. And that's going to turn into a bigger lie. We talk to our kids that way, don't we? Us adults need to get a hold of that lesson and remember it. Because lying has all kinds of consequences. It leads to all kinds of bad places. But beyond all of that, the Bible describes Satan as the father of lies and so a lying spirit is the spirit of satan when you allow a lying spirit to grip your life you have taken on an attribute of the devil himself and we don't want to be like the devil we want to be like jesus amen how many want to be like jesus today and you can't be like jesus and have a lying spirit so everything you got to do to root that out of your life do it and do it quickly all right i'll take you to the next slide Revelations 22, 17. I got to move quickly. The spirit and the bride say. Let's do that one more time. The spirit and the bride say. One more time. The spirit and the bride say. 
And who is the bride? The church. Amen. The spirit and the church say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will. Look at your neighbor and say, that means everybody. Everybody who will, let him take the water of life freely. So the last day church must remain reaching, preaching, teaching, loving, calling, challenging, obeying, praying, fasting, sacrificing, interceding, persevering, and preserving the word of God. And so the church is mandated. Here we have really uh, what we have is a book of Revelations version of the Great Commission to go into all the world and tell them to come and drink of the water of life freely. And, and all of us have an obligation we ought to be reaching people and say, come, I want, you to, I want you to be baptized in Jesus' name. Let me open up my Bible and show you. You need to receive the Holy Ghost. You're having, you're having trouble overcoming alcoholism. You need the Holy Ghost. You're fighting depression. You need the Holy Ghost. You're, you're, you're fighting a pain in your heart. You need the Holy Ghost. Uh, you're, you're, you're having trouble having a right spirit. You need the Holy Ghost. You can't get over that addiction. You need the Holy Ghost. That's what the church ought to be doing, saying, come, come and drink freely of the water of life. Come and repent of your sins and let your life be changed. That is the mandate of the last day church. Come. You've got to tell them to come. Revelations 22, 18. Next slide. This is number six. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. Everyone said heaven. And from the things which are written in this book. This is a kind of a heavy point, uh, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. This third lesson is the integrity of prophecy and the inerrancy of scripture. I know those are kind of strange, big theological words, but let me just kind of give it to you straight. What Jesus is saying is you better preach the word of God as it's written. I'm going to say it again because we didn't get as excited about that as we should in an apostolic church. That's why we're apostolic. You need to preach the word of God as it is written. You better not add to the word of God. You better not take away from the word of God. You better not ignore scriptures just because you don't like them. And you better not add things to the scripture just because you think it'd be pretty good. No, we are called as the church to be true to the word of God and to trust the truth of prophecies that the word of God gives us. Now, listen, I understand. I believe in prophecy in the church today. Anybody believe in prophecy? I do believe in prophecy. I, and uh, some of you aren't going to like this. I'm going to say it anyway. Prophecy is one of the most abused gifts of the spirit. That's why not only do you can you have prophecy moving in a church, but you also need to have the gift of discernment. That's why it's so important to have the Holy Ghost. Why do you think false prophets do so well out in the world? And they have big mega churches and they and they get little old ladies to send them thousands of dollars on TV so they can get some miracle water. Just get this little Israeli miracle water and and, you know, dab it on your forehead and uh, and, you, and 
and, uh, and do three Hail Marys and throw it over your shoulder. What is that? All of that is false prophecy. It's charlatans. It's wolves in sheep's clothing. It's very, very dangerous. People fall for that every day. You know why? Because they do not have the Holy Ghost and they don't have the gift of discernment. They need to have the Holy Ghost. But can I tell you, even though I recognize that there, is, there are people who abuse the gift of prophecy, there's also people who abuse the Bible. There's, you can abuse any gift of the Spirit. You can abuse anything. Anything can be abused. The devil does it every single day. That does not take away from the fact that prophecy is still real. You can trust the word of God. If God says there's going to be a trumpet sound, there's going to be a trumpet sound. If there's a man of God who stands on the word of God and he says, thus saith the Lord, and God put a word in his heart and his life reflects the fruit of the spirit and he's honorable then you can trust that and you can say the Lord is speaking into our, into our congregation. The Lord is speaking to the church. And how many know that we need to remain true to the word of God and to the gift of prophecy that is operating in the world today? And by the way, you know, the, the way that you can always, uh, <laughs> modern prophets don't like it when you say this, but uh, in the Old Testament, if a prophet Gave an untrue prophecy, they could stone him to death. That's what they did. You know, prophecy was serious business. Prophecy is still serious business today. People who abuse it, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Because the scripture is very clear. Whenever you start playing with the Bible and you start playing with prophecy, God's going to add plagues to your life. There's going to be a curse that comes into your life and you're not going to be able to make it into heaven. That's why we need to approach the word of God with reverence and with awe. We need to approach the gifts of the spirit with reverence and with awe. It's not games that we play. It's not something we do to have fun. We do it under the holy inspiration of God because we're desperate for his presence. We're desperate for his word. And we want a move of God in our churches. How many want a move of God in the last days? How many want a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost just just in the final hours before the trumpet sounds. That's my prayer. I pray it every day. I want to see a mighty apostolic revival in the final moments before the trumpet sounds. Amen. Amen. I want to take everybody with me that I possibly can. All right, I'll take you to the next slide, and we're closing out here. This is number seven in our list of lessons from the final message, Revelation 22 and 20. And here we have it. Surely I come, this is Jesus speaking, surely I come what? Quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. There are five references to the Lord's soon return in this final chapter of the book of Revelations. Five times the reference to behold I'm coming quickly or surely he comes quickly or come quickly as a request. Uh, and it's very, very significant that Jesus' final words to the church are, the very last words that Jesus spoke to the church are, surely I come quickly. And then he encourages us to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Did you know one of the marks of the early church uh, was that when they prayed, kind of the way we say amen, you know how we end most prayers with an amen? They would end, if you read any of the old writers from hundreds of years ago, the, the great Christian writers, at the end of anything they wrote, they would write, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Any, if they were praying a prayer, they would end their prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I think the church has lost that. I think we ought to get back to it. We ought to be praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know why they prayed prayers like that? 
because they were being martyred. They were being burned at the stake. Their families were being taken out of their homes, separated from their loved ones. Listen, you know what Iraqi Christians, I just read about it last night. The Iraqi Christians who are giving their lives every single day, day before yesterday, 10 more Iraqi Christians shot dead in the street, right in, in daylight in front of everybody, just, just because they're Christian and they would not renounce their faith. You know what the news report said their final words were as they were surrendering their lives? They were saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I think the American church, we, you know why we don't pray it more often? Because we've got too much nice stuff. We don't really want them to come quickly. But something ought to burn in the heart of every believer that says, Lord, I'm ready for you to come. I'm ready for you, God. I'm ready for you, God. I've got family that's not saved. And Lord, I want them to be saved, but come quickly. I'm ready to be with you, Lord. My heart yearns my heart yearns for glory. Something in the heart of every Christian ought to yearn for something bigger than this world. Something in the heart of every Christian ought to yearn to be with God in paradise. Can we just lift up our hands and pray it together? Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. We want to be ready. We want our hearts to be right. We want our spirit to be right. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.